0: You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello and welcome to the HD Branch Podcast, it's- the weekly companion to your printed copy of HD Branch, where I, your host Karishma Kunzang from Team Branch, give you a behind-the-scenes of what you'll be reading on Sunday. This series is available on hdsmartcast.com, India's fastest-growing podcast-producing platform. Hey guys, how's it going? I remember when I was in my pre-teens and I ended up crushing on some guy in my neighborhood. Um, As it turned out later, we found out that he was a house help. And though obviously we never spoke and I didn't even know his name... There were plenty of looks exchanged. And when my parents found out about these uh, looks being exchanged, all hell broke loose. Because how dare I crush on a house help? I mean, I was completely unaware of the class difference uh, that was carried out in my own household. And even though I'm much more aware of it today and try to uh, you know, not practice it as much as I can in life, I still fail to understand the point of it, especially in the day and age of social media. So when I spoke to H.T. branch cover stars Adarsh Kaurav and Dilothma Shom, actors who've recently played roles of house helps in their releases, White Tiger and Is Love Enough Sir, they had a lot to say about their own eye-opening experiences besides talking about what they think about fame. Listen on for our chat. Lothamayan Adash. Congratulations on your HD Branch cover and welcome to the HD Branch podcast. Based on the research that both of you did for your respective roles, uh, what are the what are your views on the state of uh, domestic health in Indian societies in general? I mean, um, what is the big problem? I mean, I'm sure you did talk. Uh, your little bits of research, whether it was online, whether it was talking to people. But what was the basis of it? like? Um, do you think it's just a tradition that you know, we've been carrying on or is there like the angle of the cast
1: When I was working at the this, at this stall, everything just, be, like all these invisible boundaries that we have, they just, they weren't invisible anymore for mm-hmm. me because like I started experiencing it firsthand and it made me realize that I don't know, maybe because I, I mean, I've lived in India. So when you don't look a certain way or you don't dress a certain way or, you know, I mean, let's just call it aesthetic, right? Like if you don't fit a certain archetype, you just suddenly become invisible and people just you, you sort of become a part of this this ocean of people and like you're just insignificant. So I just, yeah, I felt like I experienced that insignificance when I... Uh, when I worked there and when I used to roam the streets of Delhi and um, I, I was I was working at this uh, this ready this Thela in Delhi uh, where I was uh, cleaning plates and uh, just keeping the place tidy running small errands for uh, It was incredible I it. when
2: I heard that I was so happy yeah. I was so happy that you put yourself to that kind of uh, yeah,
1: yeah but you know like what something. really saddened me is that like I had I mean I had the option to get out of it in two weeks j- mm. just like Sort of get an experience of it and then yeah. come back to this, right? Like yeah. I'm in a suit right now and I'm sitting in a comfortable stu- studio with, air, with, an air um, with an air conditioning on. But like people don't have that choice and like that really sort of um, hit me hard.
2: I don't want to hide my muck behind tradition, you know. So I, I think that's a real cop-out. Oh, it's, you know, I don't want to blame it on anything. I want to take responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. I am extremely class-conscious, clearly I haven't looked at a man who is not of my class with with a sense of desire when I sit in an Ola or an Uber I don't check out who the driver is uh, I'm on my phone talking to people and engaging with people who are in my class yeah. and the film when I read the film I realised that you know I'm absolutely guilty of the very thing that the film is critiquing and no matter how nice you think you are and educated and liberal you are you have kind of accepted uh, the fact that things about uh, my society the society that I live in without questioning it and I'm very ashamed of it it's it's not human nature it's
0: it's also upbringing right I mean I I mean that's that's what I'm but
2: I mean I've questioned so so many things about uh, you know there's nature and there's nurture right you nurture certain qualities I was not like I was not someone like I don't know about you Adesh, but like I had a stammer growing up I never thought I'd be an actor so where did that come from it's nurture right we nurture certain things that, you know, we want to see in ourselves. Yeah. And when I read this film, I was like, I don't want to blame this on culture, tradition. Yeah. And this is our nature. This is mm. India. Hi hai. I don't want to hide behind this. yeah. True. Uh, you know, you can manicure your nails. But if you look under the nail, it's a bad thing, right? You can nail polish and But if it's Exactly. So, yeah, I don't think... Um, I think it's like really soft apathy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, I think we are so class biased uh, that we, aren't, we can't imagine intimacy between people when someone is such an intimate part of our lives. The people who work in our homes, yeah. it's a really intimate relationship. They're making your beds, exactly. they're making food for you, okay. they're coming into your bedroom. Uh, but we can't imagine a friendship or love or romance with them,
0: you know, so, yeah. Adash, your character at one point says, a servant is nothing without his master. Yeah. Right. Uh, So, while it's true in the Indian context, do you think such equations uh, should exist?
1: I mean, absolutely not. I don't think, uh, I mean, while we live in a society that is mutually dependent on each other, but for your life to be tied up to somebody else's life. Uh, at that level is there's something really wrong about it right I mean and it's the truth it's the reality of the world we live in I mean just things like when i when I'm in an auto and I see somebody uh, asking for money it makes me angry because uh, I'm like this is not i mean of course it as as a good person it's my duty to help them out but it's not it's the duty of the government at large to make sure that these conditions don't exist. I want to help them, but why has it come to that state? Yeah, these things make me angry and they make me uncomfortable and um, not quite sure what the solution is.
2: When the pandemic hit us and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, building societies didn't allow your staff to come in. I really think for me, the equation really changed. Who's the slave and who's the, the, you know, how dependent we are on our survival, on people. And the interconnectedness of life and how it's important to, you know, live in a way where there's dignity. Exactly. You know, that everyone has that basic dignity because you can't, you can't bloody function. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: You can't run a Mm -hmm. house without the help of people, you know.
1: And like we can't make a
2: film right without like a, a light person, the camera, the camera department,
1: and all these things where we work have so many rules and so many regulations, and like you know, you need to work between nine to nine or whatever, you know. But where are these rules that for yeah. the working class? Yeah. I mean, we <laughs> there is there yeah, is. Where no are the paid... trade
2: unions? Where is the health insurance? Where is the medic- medical medical? You know, so this kind of parity that we are talking about, the equality that we are talking about, we have actually... This is systemic violence. Yeah. Yeah. And we are totally perpetrating it. Oh, sure. Uh, oh, and, sure. and I really feel like uh, when the pandemic hit, hit us, I really feel like this ugly uh, truth became even more visible. Yeah. Uh, when suddenly you realize yeah. that, oh, you really can't do without help, you know? Yeah. You are so pathetic. <laughs> and you suddenly feel like, oh, shit. Yeah. I'm quite useless. <laughs> and oh, Horror these... I must really respect the people who work and help me be alive and and do the things that I like to do can't happen.
0: Your character's ambition of making her own life count by giving education to her sister. Do you think that is... um, What is your opinion of it? Do you think that is an an unfair amount of uh, pressure?
2: In White Tiger also, the idea of exploring class... Uh, you know the class exploration comes with an education is like strictly tied into that right you educate yourself in order to escape the class that you were born into for Ratna if if Choti studies then she can you know in an English medium school she can get out from being in the class that she was born to which is being working in someone's house as a quote unquote servant it's a terrible word in the first place you know we are all serving something yeah you know, see. some agenda, some boss, <laughs> some idea, sure. you know, sure. so for for Ratna, like for me, like I studied really, I come from, a, you know, my father's an Air Force officer um, and like uh, the whole idea of education of studying more. I did the double masters. What was this whole desire to study so much? It, it was so that I could see more of the world. I could yeah. negotiate and engage with more of the world than my father could, yeah. Yeah. you know. And it was that, it's that hunger, right, to escape what society thinks. Only you can only do this much. You can only see this much. This is only the sliver of the pie that you will get. You can't eat more than this. Right. You can't get more than that, right. you know. So I feel like that is, it's is—it's—it's a normal human aspiration to study and to learn so that you can grow more. You know, honestly, when I was researching for friendships and relationships between people who, you know, domestic staff and people who worked in their house, most of the hits, barring a few cinematic appearances over like last 40 years, the most of it was relegated to the world of pornography. Because, we can't it. And people who are from a class, you know, of the lower class of society, how can they have desires? yeah yeah. in so many interviews after sir so like people are tiptoeing around saying but you know like a maid mm. Um, mm. we are so clumsy because we are so guilty yeah? Yeah, yeah we are so guilty that we don't even know how to talk properly uh, you know so I feel like an, an exploration of the lives of those who have lesser than us either we tend to romanticize it to the point of making it unreal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my research I really couldn't find much which was uh, I think we have a long way to go I think it'll be reactionary we'll react to it first uh, before a real revolution happens where we can just frame a person without in a film and spend 15 minutes if a man and a woman are sitting on a sofa and for half an hour you don't even know what work they do wouldn't you just look at them as who they are
0: yeah have people gotten in touch with you guys saying that they have a new perspective or a new point of view when it comes to the lesser privileged, uh, you know, um, like who are part of their lives while, uh, you know, do you think movies like this and uh, documentaries or films, like this will make a change?
1: I just feel that people have, even if it's for a temporary time, a period of mm. time. Mm. Um, Because to bring a permanent change You you need to like Keep witnessing or experiencing these kind of things But even for a temporary span of time I think people have become just more aware Of what they're doing They watch themselves more Uh, They're more conscious And I've had people tell me that they're scared Uh, And that obviously Comes from a place of Like guilty conscience right You're obviously guilty of not um, Treating people a certain way Or how So yeah, I mean, I don't know about anything else, but even this, even if this happens for a temporary period of time, no, I still feel like that oh. film's
2: it's
1: It just places a mirror in front of you and then it, you know, it, like you examine yourself and you're just like, yeah, what I've been doing is wrong. or and At least opens up space for conversations, you yeah. know, I mean, yeah. it's something is better than uh, like being silent about it. So, at least talking about it and then that staying in your subconscious and that affecting your behaviour towards people, I mean, even if that happens, I think it's a small victory for something like this.
2: Actually, it's been really overwhelming with SIR because a lot of people have messaged and shared about how um, they were in love with someone who worked in their house, they were packed away to, uh, you know, because it was such a taboo and uh, the sense of guilt that they felt for running away or for you know the person being fired and it being hushed up um so a lot of people a lot of people have written to me about um uh, them being third generation you know of people who have escaped that drudgery uh you know and and so it it felt like uh, uh it hit a chord you know it, it, it i felt like it hit a chord where uh, people felt uncomfortable but uh, change, I think, is a, is a, you have to really consistently battle your monsters. I don't think change is possible through a film. Uh, I think that would be too naive. Uh, but uh, I can, and I certainly can't say that I have changed. I can only say that I've become more aware of not being such a good person that, you know, and I'm uncomfortable and things are in flux. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's a beginning of a conversation. It's
1: yeah yeah I definitely feel that it raises questions and yeah. um I don't know for some reason cinema tries to preach I'm, I'm not sure what I feel about it but when cinema tries to question things that have been uh, in existence for a long time or just offers the storyteller's perspective into um into how he sees the world is yeah the kind of cinema that I like and uh, like i'm I'm really really glad that the both of us could have could be part of such such yeah. films yeah.
2: yeah yeah a lot of people have asked that you know what happens to Ratna and Ashwin after mm. the film ends like, well however you think it ends says a lot about you if you think they can ever be together, uh, it says a lot about you and mm. if you think they can't be together, it also says a lot about you exactly so uh, there is going to be no sequel. the sequel is in your heart and mind like what you what kind of world you want to live in that's yeah. the
0: sequel. You know. Was there any hesitation while considering the role or was there any advice that came your way from whoever, anyone in the industry or outside, that don't do you know, you will be a stereotype and you won't get the role of a hero or a typical heroine later on?
2: Yeah, I've never been a heroine anyway. And I not to So, I never got into this. I got into this, it was an act of defiance. I saw my first... Uh, performance that blew me was Pyush Mishra's one-man show when I was in college and whatever happened to Betty Lemon, it was a one-man show and he played some, I don't know how many characters and I saw this man on stage and I realized that this is, this is insane that one person can have so much empathy and live so many lives and that's when I wanted to be an actor. And for me, being an actor is just an act of defiance of everything I was told I can't be, you know, so it continues to be that it continues to be an act of defiance. So I've never really asked anyone or never thought of like, you know, what will the industry say? Or what will people say? um, You know, the, the I have had After Monsoon Wedding was my first film where I played a maid, uh, where I played Alice, uh, I kept on getting offers of people who were uh, like, you know, people couldn't imagine me in any other way other than a maid. And I've really made money out of playing people who are marginalized in society. And after a point it gets annoying. Because, you know, I'm not poor, I have a lot of privileged, so I'm not rich either. Mm -hmm. So why can't I play a rich person, a character who's rich? You know, so these stereotypes exist because I think people are comfortable with what they've seen and are afraid uh, to reimagine someone. Um, But my job is not to give in to that.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, You know, to not care about what people think about me. My job is if it's a role that, you know, allows me to learn something more, push myself, do something which I haven't done explore something that makes me uncomfortable and grow um, and yeah i've never had any kind that kind of mentor or you know th- that kind yeah. of advice from the industry Ki ye karo, ye karo to, ho and if, in fact if people said that i would want to do it more <laughs> but thankfully no one has really given such advice because i'm not in the race to be some heroine you know?
1: yeah. i feel i act for very selfish reasons i'm, I'm not trying to Uh, bring in a revolution of any kind or I don't think I'm evolved enough to even think that big right now at this stage of my life Uh, why I really act is because it gives me pure joy and where it started from was because I loved to lie as a kid and uh, I would enjoy lying Uh, almost have this compulsive disorder to lie about the smallest of things that didn't require me to lie, Uh, lie to my parents my friends and (laughs) it gave me a certain kind of thrill to Uh, dupe people and uh, to convince Mm. them about something that didn't exist and to see how easily they used to get convinced if I believed in my life
2: if I didn't believe in
1: my life they would not get convinced but if I genuinely believed in it they would (laughs) yeah and like one of the places where it started from was David Blaine because I used to see David Blaine perform and I as a kid interpreted it completely differently I thought David Blaine had supernatural powers and I told myself that I have supernatural powers and uh, did these really stupid things and um, convinced my friends that, uh, you know, that something beyond the ordinary exists. And I never grew up watching a lot of mainstream cinema or cinema in general. Uh, so the idea of being a hero or anything like that, it, it it's never really affected me or influenced me in any way. I think my biggest trip is to just... Uh, constantly keep growing and adding things to my repertoire what was the
0: most difficult part about cracking the industry
1: i don't know it's a constant chase right and the day the chase gets over then there's nothing left i don't i don't think i ever want to feel like i've cracked anything
2: (laughs) okay because
1: everything is about that chase and that thrill and if i don't have that then i don't know what else is there
0: What in today's day and age does fame mean to you? I mean, is it the long-lasting hero-worshipping one that we had like ten uh, years ago, or the one where you get two hundred, uh, you know, thousand followers overnight?
2: It's really not important. I mean, neither have I hero worshipped anyone, nor do I take Instagram or any That's social serious. media very seriously.
1: Fame is the enemy of any artist, because suddenly. Uh, it gives you access to more comfort and makes you more conscious un- in an unnecessary way. Yeah. So it dilutes your experience of life in a lot of ways, right? Thank you
0: so much for your time, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. It's been Thank absolutely you. wonderful. I'm not someone who goes abroad and goes looking for Indian food are more experimental within reason when it comes to local food. After all, isn't that a part of the complete experience? But every international artist I've spoken to raves about the Indian food you get in London, from British uh, vocalist Anne-Marie to French DJ uh, David Guetta. Very recently, actually. And um, our very own Sadak chef, uh, Saranj koila has also launched his Goila Butter Chicken there. And that too, during the lockdown. But uh, let's not forget the pioneer, you know, who've taken Indian food abroad, though. Like chef Atul Kochar, whose journey HT Brunch columnist Veer Sanghi talks about this week. You
4: know, Indian food has never been hotter globally than it is today. For instance, the whole of the United States of America was a bit of a wasteland when it came to Indian food. There are now significant Indian restaurants in nearly every American city. No, they don't get Michelin stars. No, they don't all get rave reviews, but they're there and they're catching on. It's different in England because there's always been curry houses which were not very good, frankly. But there were chefs who pioneered a different kind of cuisine, who made Indian food respectable, who made sure that the top restaurant lists always included Indian restaurants. This week, I profile a pioneering Indian chef. He's Atul Kocher, who used to work with the Oberoi's in India, went to England, started Tamarind, won a Michelin star, moved, opened Banaras, won another Michelin star. Is now running a very successful Indian restaurant called Kanishka and will open another one. The interesting thing is that Atul's opening in Delhi, well, Delhi NCR anyway, he's opening a restaurant called Saga and trying to bring his food to Delhi to see if we like it. I assume Saga will succeed. I've tried the food. But even if it doesn't, I think it's time for us to honor our pioneers, to honor people who've taken Indian food abroad and made us proud.
0: When I was in Delhi, for me, what would mark the onset of spring was the two- to three-day jazz festival um, that used to happen at Nehru Park. You know, listening to music while just rolling around and, you know, digging in the greens. And though the festival season, um, you know, that particular festival started off pretty well initially, its quality went that south as it became a place where people would just, you know, get wasted. I still went for it though every year, finishing up with a plate of momos at Yashwant Place Complex right opposite it. Well, since that stance cancelled due to COVID, if I were in Delhi, I would have definitely gone for a picnic and made the most of the time I can walking around without wearing a sweater or drowning in your own pool of sweat. I especially love walking down Malchamag in Chanakyipuri. It's near my school, Kamal Convent, which was, uh, and that area was always so lush and green around that time during spring. Well since HT branch columnist Seema Goswami is in Delhi here's her list of things to do before summer hits
3: Every year as the days get longer and warmer I make a resolution to make the most of the short-lived Delhi spring and short-lived it certainly is dissolving into summer in the blink of an eye I often say that living in Delhi means You have the heater on one week and you have the AC on the next. So if you're going to enjoy the nanosecond that spring lasts, you better have your to-do list ready and be quick about ticking off all the items. But there's a certain magic about the Delhi spring. For the few weeks it lasts, it makes up for the bitter indignities of winter and the harsh humiliations of summer that we have to live through. The trick is... To make the most of it, so that you store up enough memories for the rest of the year. So here in no particular order are just some of the things that you could try and accomplish. Visit your neighbourhood park and feast your eyes on the spring blooms that are all around us this season. Better still, visit your local nursery and pick up a few pots of plants to brighten up your balcony, your terrace or your garden. You can, of course, travel back in time and visit all the many monuments that are littered around Delhi. Best to do this before it gets too hot. Same thing you do with a picnic. This is probably the last week that you can actually head out with friends, lay out a carpet on the ground and enjoy some snacks. Soon it will be too late to do that. And then you'll regret not making the most of spring. (music) 90s
0: kids you're in for a treat which 90s song remains a favorite for you even today While you ponder that, uh, maybe you can get some ideas from Isha Nigam. He's a 26-year-old singer and YouTuber from UP who's now in Delhi. I came across him quite randomly when one of his uh, cover videos popped up on my Insta feed. And his collection of 90s Bollywood songs sent me down memory lane. Ishan actually started singing when he was 10 and he's a Sangeet Praveen in Hindustani classical music. And with four originals out, his love for covers and 90s music is evident from his feed. And so we got him to play a cover of what was once one of my favorite songs, Do Dil Mil Rahe Hai, from the 1997 movie Pardes. Hope you enjoy it.
1: Hi, I am Ishan Nigam. And I'm going to sing a song called Do Dil Mil Rahe from the movie Pardes, originally sung by Kumar Sanguji Here
3: it goes
1: a <laughs> song
3: क्या है कुछ
1: great
0: Sunday brunch. The weekend is when you take a break from a hectic week, whether it's work from home or work from work. It's also a day to develop perspective on things by not just consuming news, but also analyzing it by listening to different points of views and figuring out what you feel about it. We hope we've been able to do just that with today's HT Branch podcast. Feel free to give us feedback and suggestions on HT Smartcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Or DM us directly at HT Brunch on Instagram and Twitter. To listen to more podcasts, log on to htsmartcast.com or listen to new I will see you back here next weekend with another dose of entertainment that keeps things real. Till then, happy brunching, guys. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HT Smartcast.
3: HD these masked